back in the fur shed the really stinky smelly fur shed now that the weather's warmed up the odor has elevated from the lure and bait making ingredients and stuff that maybe I didn't get quite completely cleaned up I guess so there's a little bit of smell here I'm trying to air it out but this is Jeremiah Wood from trappingtoday.com and you're listening to episode 28 of the Trapping Today podcast. Thank you for being here and thank you for for listening in. Um, I want to give a few thank yous out. James from Massachusetts, Les from Oregon, Jeff from Virginia. Uh, thank you guys. Um, all three of you guys uh, emailed to let me know you appreciated the podcast and, and you like listening in. And I appreciate that. Thanks very much. And anybody else that wants to email, uh, give me some suggestions on what you'd like to hear about, uh, you can do that jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D, gmail.com. And if you like the podcast and you want to do something for me, you can share it uh, with a friend. If you've got a friend... Uh, fellow trapper that you think might be interested let them know about it and maybe we can continue to grow the listenership of this podcast all right so what we're going to do tonight is go over a few news items and uh, then we're going to talk about treating traps so the the first item is the fur harvesters auction we went over the results last week but they had not posted the coyote prices and so they just, I keep checking the site every day, and I finally saw that they they had put it up. And so I wanted to read off the coyote prices for those of you who did not get a chance to see those. It looks pretty good, really good actually. So um, the fact that they weren't revealing the prices I don't think has anything to do with the uh, with you know trying to hide that they're low or anything. I think what happened, it, it seemed to me that there, I went through the catalog, so they didn't have the averages out yet, but they, they post all the prices in the catalog for different sections, and it's a lot to follow along with, but I just kind of went through the coyotes in the catalog and looked at the numbers, and there were a lot of unsold, a lot of zeros, and I suspect what happened is a lot of them got passed over during the auction, and then after the auction was over, they went into the private treaty room, which is typical with these auctions, especially in years of low fur markets. This has become more common, and they kind of make a deal at the end after the auction's over. So I suspect that's what happened with a lot of the coyotes, and that's why the results weren't out yet. Um, that's just a speculation on my part. Um, but anyway, the western coyotes, uh, the one drawback is they didn't sell a, a at a huge percentage. So Western coyotes, 64% uh, of the coyotes that were offered sold. And the good news is the average was $97.74. That is one heck of a great average price for, for a coyote. That's pretty amazing in my opinion. Uh, and the same for Eastern coyotes, 76% of Eastern coyotes sold, average $59.21. Isn't that something? Um, that's uh, like I said, the our coyotes up here in Maine, we're we're looking at typically twenty twenty five dollars average. Um, so it, with with that average uh, for an eastern coyote, we're we're right in there that fifty to sixty dollar average. That really changes. It becomes quite a game changer for guys wanting to take the time. You know, it's 
the regulations here are pretty rough uh, for on a coyote trapper. You got the 24-hour check. You got a lot of modifications and jaw spread restrictions, so it's hard to put up big numbers of coyotes. Um, and then you've got kind of uh, there. There's the terrain. There's a lot of big woods where I'm at, and you you don't necessarily have high densities of coyotes in big woods. Uh, so much as as you would have in in certain other agricultural settings, uh, but we do have a fair number of coyotes. That being said, and sixty dollar average will will certainly send more guys out after them. So that's that's great. It's great to hear. And then the central coyotes sold at ninety three percent, and the average was forty one dollars and ninety cents. So again, uh, really good numbers on the coyotes. Um, Mark Downey had a little uh, overview of the of the auction, and basically the, the highlight that FHA decided to uh, to put out there was um, basically the Bobcat sale was all time record for them. So that was pretty pretty amazing. Um, they had a, a whole pile of lots that showed uh, they they listed a bunch of different lots that sold uh, over a thousand dollars for for individual lots of Bobcats. That's pretty good, and they were talking, just kind of talking about how the uh, the different the prices were, you know, are still in a tough time in the fur market, but we are we are seeing some. I guess that they said that we see the kind of the light ahead, light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. That uh, you know we've had low fur prices for a long time. Coyotes, they said, did weaken a little bit compared to February, March levels um, for the western skins, but the eastern ones were were stronger. I mean, weakened, but still ninety some dollars is, in my opinion, is pretty darn good. And they talked about they held the line on some items like uh, Fisher, uh, larger Martin, and Lynx. So they're hoping to get get better prices for them in the future. And then they talk, talked a little bit about overproduction of ranch mink, and with prices falling, prices are well below production costs for mink ranchers. So once global mink production has been cut substantially, says Mark, the market will rebound as it has done for countless decades when demand surpasses surpasses supply. So that's uh, that's the fur harvesters auction. Um, it's not all doom and gloom, I I would say. We're still in a low fur price environment, but hey, not too bad. Now, if you are in the Northwest Territories of Canada and you have, well, we talk all, all, all the time about how low beaver prices are. Well, if you're in Northwest Territories, it looks like you're going to take advantage of a nice little bounty for any beaver that you find of to the tune of $100. So this is a story... Uh, titled Beaver Bounty, Invasive Species Within Canada, and it's uh, Radio Canada International. They did a little story about beavers in Northwest Territories. And I've been th I was thinking about this a little bit. They've got a picture of this uh, uh, Inuvolut hunter uh, that shot a beaver, and this, this was the first beaver he had ever seen on the tundra. And what's happening is you know things are warming up and in the northern latitudes and there's more uh, brush and willows and tree species that are 
becoming established, they're kind of expanding the range further north. And as that happens, that's food for beavers, and beavers are expanding their range further north. And so with the beavers showing up for the first time, um, take a little step back. I think it would be pretty cool if we all could have lived for a thousand years and be able to look back at how these things changed over uh, the decades and the centuries because I suspect there are areas like the Arctic um, where you know we we had warm we had warmer periods well we know we know looking at historic records that we had warmer periods we had cooler periods and so this is probably uh, you know the species expanding the tr the tree species expanding further north the beaver expanding further north um, you know there's a politics on on global warming and climate change I'm not even going to get near that but you know there is uh, there are cycles over the centuries that take place and I suspect that this is just kind of they're moving further north and then something's going to happen things are going to cool down and they're going to move further south however if we as human beings it our whole baseline is is basically what we grew up with and what we're used to and what our parents are used to and if your parents and grandparents and you are used to never seeing beaver before and you start seeing them that's a crisis it's like man this is different this is something that shouldn't be it's not right and uh, we as humans as a society are very guilty of that myself included but it's just an interesting little observation uh, about beaver showing up there and it's everybody's kind of uh, up in arms and the Northwest Territories has just issued a bounty on beaver $100 each people in the Mackenzie Valley have been complaining about industrious critters building dams and blocking fish bearing creeks and otherwise flooding and changing the landscape so I thought that was kind of interesting uh, you guys up there in NWT in those northern er parts of the territories um, that's a good opportunity and take advantage of that while you can a hundred dollar bounty on beaver can you imagine that um, we would be trapping them quite heavy here in Maine for that type of money <laughs> alright so that's one story M moving on uh, I did pick up this story on the Trump administration moves to lift restrictions on hunting trapping in national preserves in Alaska and I remember that it's kind of an interesting little story and it caught my eye because I remember in 2015 uh, the Obama administration banned a bunch of different practices on uh, public land in Alaska on, on uh, federal land in Alaska and that was pretty controversial at the time and it was kind of uh, it, it was disheartening to know that you know there was these practices that people um, took part in certain types of of hunting and trapping that um, they had done for a long time but because people in the administration didn't feel like that was um, something they agreed with uh, they banned them and it seemed kind of counter to me as like well doesn't this the state uh, manage game populations you know the state of Alaska and of course the, yes they do but uh, when you have a landowner like the federal government it's kind of you know they it, to a cer certain extent they can make their own rules on on federal land uh, usually they don't but that this was quite an interesting reach by the Obama administration 
However, the looks like the current administration has overturned that, and so we're kind of back to people being able to uh, to do what they've been doing for a long time. Of course, the antis are all going crazy, and they don't they you know it's just cruel, and everything's gonna go to heck because of that. But anyway, that's hey you know we'll take good news when we can get it, even if it's just trying to regain some ground that's been lost. Uh, the other story that I had was uh, on responsive management. It was another anti-story, but it was it actually kind of a it's kind of a good little insight for us as trappers and how the public f- feels about trapping and and how that may you know affect us and in, in our messaging to the public about what we do. That one I think is going to get into the weeds a little bit, and there's going to be a lot of details to go over. So. Uh, I'm going to kick that off to a future podcast episode, but uh, that's on that's on my radar a little bit. And then I wanted to give a little mention to a podcast that I recently started listening to. It is Tundra Talk, Tundra Talk podcast with Tyler Freel, uh, Tyler, F-R-E-E-L. If you don't know of Tyler, uh, I've seen a couple of his articles in Outdoor Life magazine. I thought it was the coolest thing ever that there were a few trapping uh, articles in Outdoor Life. I think it was on their blog, and I had a couple there that I posted on Trapping Today and uh, shared with people, and I thought it was it was really good. So Tyler is kind of a part-time writer for Outdoor Life. He does uh, quite a few other things in big-time hunter, and he also does some trapping. So I found the podcast. A lot of you may already listen to it, but if you don't, check it out, Tundra Talk. And that uh, there's some really neat things. I, I've always been obsessed with Alaska. I, I may never even go there. I may end up living there someday. Who knows? But I love the place. I love the people. I love the, the whole idea, the freedom. And uh, as a trapper, that I can't think of a better place to be as, as a trapper. So... Uh, that's pretty neat. Tyler does have a couple of episodes where he talks trapping on there, so check it out if you get the chance. All right, so I'm going to take a quick break, and we will talk about treating traps. So when we talk about treating traps, when we mention treating, what I'm talking about is dyeing, waxing, or dipping traps. And this is something that pretty much you're you're going to want to do um, in almost every circumstance, in, in one form or another. But do you need to treat traps? Well, you get a you get a box of new traps straight from the factory, and you could take those traps right out of the box, set them in the ground, and catch fur with them. You you honestly could. There really is not not an issue with them whatsoever. However, um, over a period of time, if you're in environments like mine where it's pretty wet, uh, pretty humid, moist environment, you have uh, rust is the constant enemy that we all deal with. And when you have conditions in the, like putting something in the soil where it tends to rust quite a bit, uh, using in foothold traps like uh, antifreeze, calcium chloride, any type of salt, that is just an absolute rust machine. Um, so traps traps can rust out pretty quick if they're not treated. So 
there the other reason that you you'd want to treat is probably not only to to prevent rust also to kind of have a protective uh, coating around the trap um, for getting it getting it beat up and also you want to treat to potentially remove remove scent or other stuff from the trap so there's a variety of different methods uh, to treat traps but basically like I said if you take your traps right out of the box so first off they're gonna have a a layer of a little bit of layer of grease from the factory um, when you buy the traps and um, my understanding of it is that the manufacturer puts that on there to prevent that trap from rusting uh, after it's the trap's been put together and built uh, if if they don't potentially you know you got traps that are sitting in cardboard boxes in a warehouse somewhere then they're getting shipped over to a supply dealer and then they're getting carried around maybe to conventions or they're sitting in a garage or or another warehouse and with moisture and so on you, you know you're talking a lot of potential to get rust so that light coating of grease uh, or oil is going to prevent that rust. Uh, of course, that'll wear off pretty quick, and then then the rust, as soon as the traps get used, the rust starts its slow creep. And over time, it it really, if if unchecked, it really doesn't take too long for rust to really take over and kind of ruin a trap and make it almost to the point where it's unusable. If you, I think, if you set a trap in in the right soil conditions in the ground. And left it there for a few years, you wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be able to, to uh, set it off. It, it probably wouldn't work. I actually noticed I had some a bunch of traps that I lost in my fur shed fire when the fur shed burned down, and I left them outside over the winter. And I started picking them up in the spring, and they were already developing a huge, uh, pretty significant layer of rust on them, just from not being treated and being outside. So rust is the enemy. Um, Traditionally, how has this been dealt with? Well, the tried and true, I mean, historically, before we had uh, any of the modern conveniences of the trapping supply industry, uh, the metal was dyed using uh, either bark, boughs, or leaves of a tree. So there's, there's certain species um, where the bark works um, or the needles. Um, there are certain species of tree that the leaves work. I know like for instance up here uh, maple leaves work pretty good to put put a dye on the trap and it's it's kind of it seems kind of crazy that you you can take parts of a tree and actually it'll dye a trap and and that will actually stay on there. What's happening is when the trap is and what's what's done is basically uh, you are putting you're soaking uh, those bark or boughs or leaves in water and you're putting the trap in the water with them in that uh, that wa the water kind of uh, the the two the steel and the tannins from the bark or from the, the tree actually forms a chemical bond and that's what forms a coating on uh, the outside of the the steel of the trap. So it's this this dye kind of adheres to the outside of the trap, to the metal, and it forms a coating all around 
around the outside. And uh, like I said, it's a chemical bond. It's done uh, by soaking them in water together. If the water is warmer, this will take a lot less time. Uh, but you can actually put you could actually put a bunch of say maple leaves or or a certain tree species if you can put the boughs uh, or bark and you could put those in a big drum of water you can set the traps in there for a few weeks and pull them out and they should be dyed but if you do this and your your drum of water is boiling that is probably going to take about 10 to 15 minutes so that really speeds up the heat really speeds up that chemical reaction and that whole process now in order to get a good dye onto your your trap you're gonna have to have a certain amount of rust that's going to uh, kind of soak up and that the dye that that chemical bond between the um, the tannins in the bark or the the say you could use leaves you could use walnut hulls uh, sumac bark uh, certain species do better than others um, but in order for that bond to take place you're going to need a little layer of rust on the trap um, and the other thing you're going to need to do is clean that grease that factory grease off uh, for new traps older traps it's not going to matter but the first thing you want to do is get a layer of rust going. So for me in, in this climate, basically just leave it outside and um, wa probably washing in soap is probably the best way. Some guys actually, some guys will go to the car wash and kind of spray them down with soap and water and get that grease off. Some guys will use a dishwasher. Uh, not recommended when your wife's around. That might you not make you very popular. Um, could make a little bit of a mess, uh, but a dishwasher d does work really well for that. Uh, here, probably just washing it down quickly with some soap and water and leaving it outside. It's going to rust pretty good. Uh, other guys recommend spraying a little bit of vinegar on the, the traps to speed up the rusting process. Uh, but a light layer of rust will, will help that chemical bond. Uh, the other factor with that dye is the stronger the solution, the more um, material w with those tannins in there, uh, the quicker it seems to be able to bind to, to the trap. And sometimes um, if the rust isn't quite there, you're gonna, it's going to take longer for that dye to adhere to the trap. Uh, but it does work. I've screwed up in the past where I've, I've, you know, I've boiled traps and with soaked them in the dye. And it really doesn't doesn't soak in very well, and it's because I haven't done it long enough. And the only areas where I get a good layer, a good coating of dye, was where I had rust. So either a good uniform coating of rust or a nice long soak will will help that along. Now I talked about the traditional old methods, and and really, the even the more I guess modern is is actually considered traditional, and that is logwood dye crystals and that's probably anybody who still dyes traps that's probably the uh, biggest um, the most common thing that's used because it's clean you know with bark and leaves you're gonna have kind of a mess a lot of junk from the leaves and from the bark is going to uh, it potentially adhere to the traps and kind of <clears throat> make them a little tougher to work with but 
the the crystals the so logwood uh that comes from i believe it's a tree in south america somewhere and but it's just basically the same thing same chemical makeup that uh provides this this dye coating to to steel <clears throat> and these crystals can be found in basically any trapping supply company has them and you just warm up your water you pour those crystals in let them dissolve and dip your traps um, I, I I know I mentioned briefly you can do this with uh, you know with cold water it, it just takes a lot longer the advantage of warmer water is you're gonna have uh, the that warm hot water is going to do a better job of removing scent from your traps as well so you're gonna have uh, you know the combination of scent removal and that dye job uh, adhering to to the trap and so what the die does the die will protect your trap from rust um, it's a it's a good natural coating and it it's tough it's it's a chemical bond to the outer layer of the steel so it doesn't wear off very easily it's so it makes it things pretty rugged now you usually don't hear about dying without hearing a little bit about wax and waxing traps is is another thing that uh, it's a it's something some people swear by some people don't do anymore um, wax has its benefits and and its drawbacks as well so the reason to wax a trap is well for one thing dye will protect your trap from rust but it's not going to prevent rust a dyed trap can still rust. Um, I've seen that uh, quite a bit in the past. So just because you dyed it doesn't mean it's not going to rust. The same thing with the the dips um, that we'll talk about a little later on. <clears throat> that that's not going to completely prevent rust. So what the wax does is an added layer of protection for uh, for those dyed traps. Uh, the other thing, so so wax. In addition to being an added layer of protection uh, against rust, wax also can prevent freezing, uh, prevent your trap from freezing into the ground, especially when you have you know large temperature fluctuations on a on a daily basis. Uh, a dyed trap potentially the jaws could freeze down. Uh, wax, I mean, there's. There's all, there's still a possibility. It it doesn't. It's not a cure all, but it does help a little bit. Uh, some guys say that wax a wax trap will allow the jaws to more quickly f go up through the soil, through the dirt, um, covering the trap, and it makes the trap a little faster. Uh, I mean, I think it probably does. It, it's I mean it's lubrication, right? So it's it's probably going to make the trap a little faster, but the fact is the trap. If you got good strong springs and the trap is operating properly, um, really that amount of difference probably isn't going to be a big deal. Uh, but some people do like it uh, for that reason. Um, and the so the so the wax the wax those are the kind of the benefits of the wax. Uh, the disadvantage to wax is that um, while it protects from odor, which is another benefit, it also can soak up odor. Uh, wax can 
take on odor of the surrounding air. So if you whack, die and wax your traps uh, and you hang them up in a really stinky spot like my fur shed is right now, <laughs> you uh, that wax is going to take on that odor and you're going to have, uh, it's going to, you're going to smell that odor. The animals are potentially going to be able to smell that odor on your trap because of that layer of wax. So it's, uh, wax is, I think it can be, can be a good thing, um, but you need to be careful with it. So if you're going to dye your traps and you want to wax them as well, there's a couple of different ways to do this. And I can tell you the way that I was taught to do it, and it's probably not, it may not be the best way, it's just the way that I was taught and I've done it. Uh, a, f a few times over the last few years that is I'll make the the boiling pot uh, the the drum of water with the logwood dye crystals and get everything going um, dip my traps and I will shave off um, a certain amount of wax and enough wax to make a really thin layer of wax on the surface of that water so I'll put the wax in that dyed water in the pot and it's just kind of a coating on the surface of the water and as you pull your traps up out of the dye uh, that those traps are going to go through that surface layer on the water of melted wax and that's going to apply a thin coat of wax onto the outside of your traps so it seems to be you know having the thin coat of wax allows for that protection uh, against rust, uh, potentially some freeze protection and a little bit more speed on the trap maybe and more smoother operating. Uh, however, uh, the, the the layer of wax isn't too thick so maybe it's not soaking up as much odor um, in, from, from the surrounding air. Um, that's just kind of the way that, that I've done it for a while. Uh, but I do know a lot of people who will uh, alternatively we'll do other methods and some of them will just heat up just wax in a pot uh, over the fire if you do this is very dangerous you gotta watch out well it's not gonna kill you but that wax can burst into flames if it gets too hot I think it's like somewhere around 400 degrees is the flash point on that stuff so you gotta be careful with that some people will put it in a big crock pot and you get the wax melted and you just dip the trap down you let it I think you want to get the trap and the wax to be about the same temperature for the wax to adhere really good. Um, pull it out, let the you know let the excess wax drip off, and then you got a thick layer of wax coating on your trap. So so there's a couple ways that you can do that. The the one thing you got to remember when you wax is you're gonna have to f scrape that wax off of the dog and the pan of your trap um, because you, that's that's going to make it very difficult to for those to function properly with with the wax there it's going to skin if you have any type of pan tension or anything it's going to want to the dogs going to want to slip off and uh, you're going to have a hard time keeping it set so you got to scrape that that part off uh, one thing that I learned the hard way um, when I was younger and I will never do again and I, I suggest this. Um, some of you may do this, but I very much suggest against it. Do not wax conibears or body grip traps. It is a nightmare. I've waxed them, and it is an absolute nightmare trying to keep them set. 
<laughs> so you can do it, but um, even at, you know, with a little bit of wax on those, even after scraping and scraping the wax off of the, uh, the trigger area and, and off of the dog, um, it is so frustrating trying to set a conibear and having it keep firing off and firing off right in your face when you're trying to set it. And uh, I will never wax them again. I'll always dip those. So something, things to think about. So that brings us along to, uh, to dipping. Um, now, in the middle of this, I'm just going to say, okay, yeah, you can't just use a factory trap without it rusting, so why don't you just paint it? Just spray paint the the, the trap. Y- you can do that. You can actually do that, and the spray paint uh, will protect it from rusting, or any type of paint, really. The problem is the paint is not going to form that chemical bond that... The, uh, the tannins from the wax are going to do so the paint's going to chip off really easily so um, short term solution maybe you can paint it you're going to have odor issues to, to think about with paint as well if, until it completely dries out so that's another consideration um, but there's a reason paint isn't used really uh, commonly um, I do know a few people that that will paint a little bit on their conibears for instance uh, because they're the ones that are going to be set above ground, they paint a little bit with spray paint to camouflage them to kind of put a couple of different colors there, so there's not one solid color, and that can be a great addition uh, to the trap and and make it a lot more effective and keep it from being seen. Uh, but as far as protection from rust, paint's not the way to go. Uh, there are there is some potential for powder coating. Uh, I think that this, you know, this powder coated paint that doesn't chip off and wear away is this really high quality paint. Um, you could do it with traps and I think it would work really well, but it's really expensive. So um, I don't know anybody that's doing it on a large scale. I've, I've heard of a few people try it out. So if you can't paint and you want an alternative to dyeing, dyeing the traps, um, we have a solution in the past couple of decades has come out called speed dip and it's kind of like um, it's 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 a it's a dip but speed dip is the brand uh, Andy Stowe's speed dip that has kind of taken on an, uh, a, a name that it's kind of taken over the the name of for this type of treatment and it's kind of like uh, you know, petroleum jelly is called Vaseline. Well, Vaseline is the brand that that made petroleum jelly. They got so popular. Uh, tissue paper is often called Kleenex because Kleenex is the brand that became the most popular and kind of dominated that industry. Uh, the same goes with Speed Dip. So Speed Dip is a product that comes in a can just like a can of paint. And it's mixed with gasoline. Um and the traps, so so you take that, you pour that uh, can into a pail, you pour a certain amount of gasoline in with it, you mix that all up, the gasoline kind of thins it out, you dip the traps. You can dip them in there for 30 seconds or a minute, it's really quick. Pull them out and hang them up to dry and that stuff drips off. So uh, it is, speed dip is a very good name for it because it's really quick. Uh, it's really effective, and that's why it's become very popular. Um, speed dip 
is it's doing essentially the same thing. It's forming that bond and it's it's uh, protecting that outer layer of metal. It doesn't wear off very easily. It's actually pretty rugged. It's very similar to dye. So, so it works quite well. Now, um, when this came onto the market, it was very controversial. Um, people believed that uh, you could not dip a trap and then use it to trap coyotes or fox uh, or other land animals um, to a certain extent. And the reason for that was, well, you're dipping the traps in gas uh, and there's an obvious odor associated with gas. So, uh, you know, we know how sensitive those animals are to odor. You cannot dip and, and trap effectively. You're going to have a certain percentage of refusals. Well, that's been proven to be not necessarily the case over time. And there are some people that are still resistant. And heck, last year, uh, I actually dipped all my conibears and I dyed my foothold traps. So I'm kind of one of those holdouts that, that still thinks uh, hot water and dye is the way to go um, uh, w with the footholds. Now that being said, I think a lot of the issues with the gasoline smell were quickly resolved by the idea that you need to do this ahead of the season, uh, quite, quite a ways ahead of the season. And you need to allow those traps to hang in a very well ventilated area and allow that gas to evaporate off. And once that gasoline has evaporated off, there's no scent associated with that dip that as far as I can tell, as far as anybody that uses it can tell. Um, that's, I believe that's gonna be about six weeks, four to six weeks. And you wanna dip in really hot weather. That's something I didn't mention earlier. Uh, the, the dip works best in hot weather and when you dip the traps in you let them soak you pull them out you shake them if you shake them really violently you're gonna shake off a bunch of that excess uh, liquid that excess dip and then you hang them in a spot uh, that that's nice and and uh, warm and that's gonna help uh, to start that drying process and and it should if you if you have a well ventilated area and you, you give them plenty of time, those traps will be ready to go. And there's tons of people that catch fox and coyotes on a regular basis uh, by dipping their traps. So speed dip is pretty much the, the most common uh, option. There is another one, um, Cots Brothers, um, who advertise on trapping today. They have one called uh, KBL Quick Dye. And it's very similar to speed dip. I've actually... I've I've bought that one and I used it I used it and I used speed dip kind of side by side and then I kind of mixed all my I did this on all my con bear traps and I kind of mixed them up and wanted to see if I could tell a difference and I really couldn't tell a difference between the two so uh, it at least in my little mini test case it seems like they perform the same the very same uh, however the one thing that I've seen from Cots Brothers from the quick dye is it is a little more expensive. I think it's maybe a dollar more. It's not much. It's essentially the same. But uh, they say that that dip is it's very similar to the old Aaron's trap dye. If you remember that, that was one of the first dips that was available on the market. And uh, this dip is supposed to be uh, able to... Um, 
be used on factory traps right out of the box. So even with that layer of grease on them, you're supposed to be able to just dip and, uh, and that grease isn't a problem. So I haven't tested enough to really know uh, to be able to show that that's the case in, in my situation. Um, but if that if that is the case and you're able to do that with, with that dip, um, to me definitely worth the extra buck if you, you're going to be dipping new traps. Um, that could potentially save you a step. So those are basically the, the two most popular options that we have. Um, you can dip and wax traps. Um, I've never done it, but but um, you that's another potential option. Uh, the dip does seem to to have kind of a almost a shiny waxy kind of consistency to to the surface of it. So um, maybe there are some wax characteristics that kind of help um, associate with that dip. But now, recently, there's been a few other uh, products that have come out on the market, and of course, we're you know we're in in the trapping industry. This is just a a real great area for innovation. There's a lot of creative guys that are are really passionate about uh, making uh, improvements to the trapping industry and to trapping supplies, and a lot of entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial spirit among trappers. So. The, there are a couple new products that you can actually uh, one is a water-based dip and I think it's Dakota line that makes that dip and it is instead of mixing with gasoline you mix the formula with water and go through the same process as you would with speed dip um, I've heard a little bit of mixed results for that but I really don't have enough information to say how well that works but um, if it does work and perform the same way, it could allay some of those concerns over having uh, gasoline smell. And with the water dip, potentially you could dip one day and you could go set traps next. So that'd be pretty cool if you could do that. And the other one is a, becoming pretty popular and it's a dip called Full Metal Jacket. And I'm not completely up on on the product because I haven't used it yet myself I probably will try it at some point my understanding is it's a clear liquid and it's I think it's almost a, a water base it's not supposed to have any scent uh, clear liquid and it puts this coating on the trap uh, kind of I I would I guess just from an outside perspective I think it would be similar to like the coating that you put that they put when the when waxing a floor um, so that type of of kind of a clear shiny coating that will protect the trap it doesn't doesn't change the color of it at all and does isn't supposed to have any scent issues so I believe um, Clint Locklear and maybe another guy came up with that uh, F&T I believe has the rights to it now and they market it and sell it and distribute it so, so Full Metal Jacket, I uh, would love to hear from you if you've used it and you've had success with it or um, how you feel about how it's worked for you. So anyway, those I believe are all the options uh, that I know of for treating traps. So you have a bunch of different options and possibilities. If you uh, want to get onto trapping today and, uh, and check out the website, there's actually, I did a little thing. Uh, article on dying with cold dip a while back 
uh, actually about a year ago, <clears throat> and it's called Dying Traps with Cold Dip. And I bet if you remember we talked about, you go to trappingtoday.com, get onto that search bar on the right-hand uh, side. If you're, on, if you're on a laptop or a computer desktop, get on Search Trapping Today. And there's a little bar there. It says Search This Site. You click on that. If you're on a cell phone, that's going to be down at the bottom of the page. But click on that. If you type in Cold Dip, you're going to get that page come up. And it's a little bit of write-up on, on that stuff. And the interesting thing is there's a couple of really experienced trappers that provided comments at the end of that post and uh, some really good insight that, that are have been doing it for a long time. Actually, one of them is Jim Helfrich, who's written a bunch of books on trapping. So a uh, professional trapper for a very long time. And these guys offer some really good insight in, into trap dip and, and dye. So if you get a chance, uh, go check that out and, and read into that a little more. That's going to be it for tonight's episode. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, it's awesome to have you here. I have fun recording the podcast. And I will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>